Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead that ye be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then if you flip over to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, just the first two verses. My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then this verse. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this opportunity once again to be in Your house. We're thankful for Your Word. We just pray that You would bless it as it's preached this morning. Be with me. That You would give me clarity of mind that people would be able to hear uh, You from Your Word and not me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now that we've read those two passages, let's turn over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. In in our passages, we read these two verses. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I want to consider this morning this phrase here that he is a propitiation, the atonement for the sins of not ours only who are saved, but for... This, as us here today, in, as John was writing, but for the sins of the whole world. And then in Second Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Now, it might seem confusing if you read these passages at first, and you go, if God reconciled the world to himself, then... What about the fact that we know what happens to the unsaved who don't trust in him? So let's go and let's read Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. We're very familiar with this passage, but this is at the end of time. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When we read this passage, we see that there are these at the great white throne, the majority of men who have ever been born. And I have a verse to back that up, but uh, the majority of people who have ever been born were never reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. These people that are going to be standing here at the great white throne, in fact, all of their trespasses will be imputed to them. They are judged. It says here they are judged 
according to their works. You don't want to stand before God someday and be judged according to your works. You need to be reconciled to God. You need to be right with God. In 2 Corinthians it says, it says God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, not laying it to their account, not charging their trespasses unto them. And so we see that it is imperative that everyone who is alive today and has the opportunity to repent in need, indeed needs to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ that they might not have their sins imputed to them. That they might not be one of these individuals standing here at the great white throne. We know by way of introduction that the way is broad that leads to destruction. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 says, enter in at the straight gate. This is the Lord speaking. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And notice this. And few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. And yet in our passage it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them. And First John says that he is propitiation for the sins of the whole world. This is indeed good news, by the way. It's not a message of negativity. It is a message of positivity. Yes. And it is a fact. It is a truth that God is, that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. And we're going to talk about that this morning. What is the world and the whole world that is talking about here. Uh, one more passage here. Turn to Romans chapter 5 just by way of introduction. Um, I want to look at one more passage. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. <clears throat> I want to consider who it is that Christ died for. He didn't come to die for good people. Yeah, that's right. It says, For when... We were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man, a righteous man, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, someone even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved through, from wrath through him. For if, notice this, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. There's that word again, reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So all the same terms and the same, the propitiation, the atonement, the reconciliation, this is all included in this passage like we've read in others. And we see here a couple different things. First, I want to notice the timing of Christ saving work on our behalf. The timing of it. When we were yet without strength. Notice that in verse 6. For when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us when we were yet without strength. Christ died for sinners. It says in verse 8, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
In verse 10, when we were enemies, we were the enemies. And when we were still enemies of Christ, he died for us. That's the timing. All these things are timing things. When, while, and when, once again, he died for us. And then note it states in these passages for whom he died. He died for those incapable of pleasing God. It says, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for those who cannot come to themselves in and of themselves. They're without strength. They're without inability. They're dead. They're blind. They're spiritually dead. And they have no way of pleasing God. He died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 6. It states that clearly. In this passage it says that Christ died for sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. And then Christ to me, this has almost more impact on my heart. Christ died for his enemies. He died for his enemies. And we see this demonstrated in the fact even in his personal life. As he died on the cross, as those wagged their head, as the thief cast the same in his teeth, it says, in ridiculing Jesus, the thief that was saved, Christ died for him. Christ died for those who were cursing him and mocking him. They repented of their sins on the day of Pentecost for those who repented on the day of Pentecost and then 5,000 later that were saved again of those Jews and as we talked about recently even some of the priests some of the Pharisees was Paul an enemy of Christ Paul Paul said he hated that way Paul hated Christ he didn't dislike Christ he hated Christ and Christ when he died on the cross that day he died for Paul And he loved us before we ever loved him. Christ died for his enemies. Now let's go back and let's consider this passage here in John, 1 John chapter 2. John wrote, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world and as i was mentioning earlier it doesn't just say and a lot of times it says world but john by inspiration puts he died for the sins of the whole world john gill i read him sometimes and oh um, uh, on these kind of things he usually has pretty good pretty good thoughts but his his thought here was really too simplistic i believe john gill uses a simple explanation that i think it doesn't require too much thought he, this is his quote He says that is, as far as he died for the sins of the whole world, he says that is not for the Jews only, for John was a Jew, and so were those he wrote unto, but for the Gentiles also. That's not incorrect, but that is by no means does it scratch the surface of what John is talking about here, I believe. And that's what I want to uh, attempt to address today. Yes, John was a Jew, as was every writer of an epistle of the New Testament, but John wasn't writing to just the Jews when he wrote this, when he wrote this epistle. Oh, I, if you think about it, it's interesting that John wasn't writing to Jews only here any more than Paul was writing to Jews in the book of Romans. Or the Corinthians, when he wrote 2 Corinthians. Was Paul writing to just Corinthians when he says that God reconciled the world to himself? 
No, he's writing to a Gentile church. And, and John here was actually, he wrote these epistles from Turkey, most likely Ephesus late in life after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Most of the apostles were dead by the time of this writing. The majority of the readers of this epistle at that time were Gentiles. Note the closing words. You don't have to turn there, but the closing words of 1 John, the very last words of, the, of 1 John in chapter 5, he says this. Oh, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's how he closes the book. That's not something you write to Jews. The Jews had gotten it figured out. I've mentioned it many times. The Jews were not idolaters. And so for people to come along and just go, a lot of times we can be right doctrinally, but how we explain things sometimes is just so clunky and it's so lazy and it just does, it's not adequate. I think we need to try a little bit harder sometimes in, in making things understandable to just say, oh, John was writing to Jews and the whole world means Jew and Gentile. Come on, that's lazy. And uh, John wasn't writing to Jews. John was writing to Gentiles, and if you think about it in that context, when he says, he's writing a bunch of former pagans, and he's encouraging them to stay away from idols, and he says, he died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. What is he talking about? It's not a Jew and Gentile thing at that point. And so, although that's true, that's not what's going on here in John, 1 John, I believe. And so I want to try to address this whole world aspect. And this is a very, very positive message. This is a, a gospel message. This is a good news message that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. And by no means does that mean that everybody's saved and going to heaven. From Adam to Eve. I want to begin with the whole world in time. The whole world in time. From Adam until the last person who is ever saved. The whole world. John is saying, the people that he's writing to, he's saying, his propitiation for our sins, not just our sins. He's saying not just our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Not just for our generation. Not just God. He's a propitiation of the, for the sins of the generation that's yet to be born. He's a generation for the, uh, he's a propitiation for the sins of all those in in Israel, who at the end of the tribulation are going to repent and look to Jesus Christ. He's a propitiation for the sins of Abel. And so I want to begin and look at this the whole world in this aspect in time. Um, not just our generation, not just the generation that John was writing to at that time. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. I think it's very simple to say that Christ died for the sins of Abel. Would you agree with that? That Christ died for the sins of Abel. Um, Enoch and the righteous men of his time. Genesis 4.26 And to Seth and to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. How many men and for how long? There's a lot of men. There's a long time. There's a lot of time passed between Adam and the flood. Between 1,700 years and 2,000 years. And there was a time, beginning with Seth, people were saved before that, but there was a time, it says, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. There was a great revival. There was... 
a lot of men who were godly and were living for God. Well, Christ died for them as well. Christ, the righteous, as the term is used, he was the propitiation for the sins of Noah. There has never been a time in history in which there have not been men who have not been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Not a day has gone by since the beginning of the world that there has not been a person alive who has not been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Every person ever born has needed a redeemer. Every person ever born could not pay the price for his own sin. And every person who has ever been saved by faith has understood that fact. And so they worshiped in the way in which they were told to worship. The problem with Cain is he wanted to worship God and come to God with his own works and he wanted to do it his own way. Abel was doing it the way he was told. And his sacrifice actually represented the work that Christ would do on the cross at some point with the shedding of of innocent blood and so forth. And so he knew that there was a price that had to be paid for sin. And so um, Job is a great example of a man who by most accounts lived around the time of Abraham or just prior. And he said this, Oh, that my, this was not a Jew, but he was, he, he's in the word of God and he's somewhere between Noah and Joshua probably in all reality. Nobody knows. But he was not a Jew. And uh, he said this, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. And they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know, notice this, that my Redeemer liveth. Present tense. He knew that his Redeemer who would pay his price. There's so much doctrine in this verse because we look back to Christ, right? He, he, He lived, he died, he was buried, he rose, he ascended. We look at it, it's a historical fact. Job is saying he believed that Jesus Christ was alive. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that, oh, and notice this, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And although after my skin worms destroy this, he believed in the resurrection, though my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and yet not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And so it's very easy to say that Christ paid his sin debt. And Job is not going to be one who is going to stand at the great white throne and he's not going to be judged according to his works because his faith was in his Redeemer who he knew lived. We have a picture here of how people were in the Old Testament and how they looked forward to the coming Messiah. And so... Of course, Jesus Christ was the propitiation for the sins of anyone who had repented and believed on the Son of God in the days of John as he wrote there in 1 John. And he is the propitiation for our sins. It is likely that most of the people to whom John was writing would have been alive during the ministry of Christ. Even if they were just little children. I mean, I mentioned it was written around 70 70 AD or so, but most of those people would have been alive uh, toward, at the time that Christ died. And so this was an ancient history. This was, you could almost say, the same generation, obviously, in which John is still alive and writing. And so he's saying that Jesus Christ, who lived in our day, he is a propitiation for our sins. But not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. It speaks, also, it speaks here 
of time is one of the one of the ways in which this is. Oh, Christ also died. He died once. He died for all those who have lived and died in the last 2,000 years of church history. Who, while they were on earth, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody who has ever put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he died and paid the penalty for their sin. Like John or Paul, during my life as I preach, I can say with all confidence that Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not our sins only, but for the sins of anyone who will yet believe in the future. He's not just the propitiation of our sins today, but He's the propitiation for the sins of anyone who will believe on Him yet to be born. It is a fact that God will continue to reconcile sinners to himself until the end of the world. And then the next point I want to consider during the, about concerning this whole world is its scope. The whole world in scope. And I want to consider two points. In scope, Christ died for people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Go to Revelation chapter 5. I love Revelation because we get a glimpse into who's in heaven. What kind of people made it. And so forth. And Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. This to me, these I'm going to read two passages from Revelation. And these just really cement the terminology and the way that things are stated in 2 Corinthians and 1 John and so forth. Anytime, many, many times in the New Testament, it talks about Christ's work for the world um, and God and so forth. And so, um, well, this is, what, this is part of what it's talking about. Revelation 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and notice this, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That kind of sounds like the whole world, doesn't it? I mean, literally the whole world. As far as you have redeemed us to God by thy blood, and we, everyone who is in heaven, is going to be from every, all the four corners of the earth practically. At some point or other in time, there will be people from, who are representing people from every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And so here we can see very simply how he is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world in this context. How God reconciled the world to himself by Jesus Christ. And he, re, he bought and he redeemed these people from every kind of person. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 7 says this. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice saying. Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. What a beautiful picture. Amen. What For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth. I'll close with that later, but listen. 
Anyone who has ever believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of time and regardless of skin color and regardless of ethnicity, is going to be in heaven because right. Jesus Christ is the atonement. He, he, he's the propitiation for the sins of the, the whole world in scope of time and in scope of, of where they come from and of yes. scope of where they were born. The skeptic might say, well, what about the people of some remote tribe in the Amazon or the Congo? Well, evidently, at some point, God saved some of those people. Yep. It, there's, your, there's the answer. Yep. Well, what about these people over here? Well, it says in the Bible that there's going to be people from every tribe and every tongue and every kindred and every nation. So either the Bible's lying, but I honestly believe that by the time God gets done wrapping this up, it's not every tribe of every tongue of all time. We talked about that in Sunday school. God was dealing mostly with the nation of Israel, but there were Gentiles that were saved. And we don't know who God was saving, by the way. People like Job and, and other people who continue to follow God. But God had a purpose for Israel. But how long did just regular old people before God called Abraham? You know how long it took for the nation of Israel to be established? Just do the math. I mean, it's, there's one guy, Abraham and Sarah, for quite a while. And then, do you think they were the only saved people on the planet? No! And then, um, and then Isaac and, and then Jacob. And how long did it take for those 12 tribes? How long did it take for them to actually become a nation? It'd be so ignorant to think they were the only saved people on the planet during that time. That's not even Bible. And so that's not how God was working at that time. But more and more over time, God dealt, began to deal mostly with the nation of Israel. But there are going to be people, I don't know, I don't know how God has done it. And I don't know how God's going to do it. But I know that there's going to be representatives from every kind of person that's ever been born on this planet. I believe that. And so, um, <clears throat> the commission given to the church, which has been carried out for the last 2,000 years, has been to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we know that it took time to get to India. It took time, to, but it's gone there. It took time to get to the Philippines, but it's there. There are... I was talking to a guy when I was down at the missions conference in, uh, um, at Bryan Station a few years ago, and he had been a missionary down in Brazil, and I was asking him what the situation was of churches down there. He's like, I'll be honest with you, there's more Baptists in Brazil than there are in America now, oh. per capita. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. It's been amazing. The missionary movements that have happened in Mexico and different places, there, the Philippines, you know how many Baptists, different kinds of Baptist churches? There are so many Baptist churches there that they fight like we do here. Brother Spears is telling me that the, um, the over there, there's Baptists, local church Baptists, who won't fellowship with each other if, if because of uh, Spurgeon. And Well, if you follow Spurgeon, you like Spurgeon, you know he wasn't a local church Baptist. I mean, they're so indoctrinated over there that they've started fighting among themselves too. Listen, the gospel has gone into a lot of places. We read a testimony about the girl who wanted to go as a missionary to Burma. Well, that was back in the 1800s. And so the gospel, God is going to fulfill his purpose. And he, one way or another, he makes sure that people hear the gospel. And that's how people are saved, is being told that they need to repent. And so in scope, there's every kind of person going to be represented in heaven. Nobody's left out. God doesn't have, didn't have a special preference for one particular group over another. 
When we get to heaven, we're going to find out just how many people he redeemed to himself. It's going to be an amazing, wonderful thing. In scope, I also want to notice this, my second point. It's real simple. Christ died for every kind of sinner. When he died for the sins of the world, he died for every kind of sinner. When it says he's a propitiation for the sins of the world, not just ours, but the sins of the whole world, the sins of the whole world, there isn't a sin that he can't forgive. There isn't a sin or a sinner that his blood isn't capable of washing white as snow. And so when he, it says that he's propitiation, not for our sins, not the sins that I committed, because I know some of the sins that I've committed, but we all know what God saved us from in our previous life. But God has, he's a propitiation, the atonement, he's, this whole work of Christ on the cross is adequate and sufficient Amen. for the Amen. sins of the whole world, the sins Amen. of the whole world. And so um, we know this passage, I'll just read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, writing to a church. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, And such were some of you. But here's the important part. But you are washed. This is what we're talking about. But you are washed. You are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What we see in this, in this that stands out to me is he's writing to a church, an established church. And he's telling them that, listen, he lists off all these things and all these sins that these people aren't going to inherit. And, and we look at some of them and we go, man, some of those are, that, you know, that's pretty rough. This church is made up of people who were saved from these kind of sins. But these people are washed. So it's, a, it's representative of the sins of the whole world. There's not, uh, this is just a beautiful thing to me in light of the gospel message is that when we consider the work of Christ on the cross for the world, it's the sins of the world. It's behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, right? That's the issue. Yeah. We got to be forgiven. Yes. We're sinners and we've committed ungodly deeds and we have to be forgiven and, and we have to be made right with God. And so I want to close with this point. The whole world speaks to the availability of Christ to the sinner, to those who hear the gospel. Yes. He's the propitiation for the sins of the whole, not just mine, but he's the, not just yours. If you're here this morning, he's not, he, you know he paid the price. But he's the propitiation not just for my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And for anyone who is alive and breathing, Jesus Christ is available. Oh, yes. It's just on you to believe. That's the message that we need to preach. It speaks of the available of Jesus Christ to the sinner. The gift of salvation is free. There's nothing holding you back. That's right. Yes. All you got to do is look. Yes. He's there. John chapter 3, 14. Go ahead and turn there. John chapter 3 and verse 14. 
I'll close with the passage that a lot of times when we talk about the, the world, we get, we get hung up and we talk so much about John 3.16. But I want to look at this passage as concerning the availability of Christ to the sinner. To anybody. If we don't preach that anybody can be saved, then we're missing the boat. We're not even coming close to the preaching the gospel message. The gospel's for everybody. Paul said in Acts chapter 17, preaching to a bunch of heathens, he said, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. John 3, 14 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That, that's not the end of the sentence. That, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is, it's so available in this, when we look at this, for God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if anybody in this world should look on him and believe on him, they will be saved. It's for everybody. If you're alive and breathing today, the gospel message is for you. You don't have to wonder who it's for? It's for you. Amen. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, the world, through Him might be saved. He didn't send His... Listen, the Son is coming back someday and He's going to condemn the world. Mm. But the people at the great white throne are those who died without believing on Him. They died in their condemnation. They're already condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. But God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. Today is the day of opportunity. But that the world through Him might be saved. In the wilderness, the picture we hear of the serpent on the pole, part of that aspect, there's more to it, but in the wilderness, those that were bitten by the poisonous serpents, they were dying. And the only way that they were going to live is if they, if they would look upon the brass serpent that Moses had raised up. The brass serpent that was visible to everybody. Yep. It was there if you would just look at it. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't available. He didn't say this is, it's available to whoever. Well, who's it? It's available to everybody who will look. To whoever believes. That was the, that's the picture there. It's there. You just have to look at it. Look at Christ and what He did for you. John the Baptist, as I already said, he cried out. He cried out to all the people around him. Were they all a bunch of saved, baptized people? He just saw Jesus walking by. And he pointed out Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Who's not saved? So who is not saved? 
It says, He that believeth on Him, in this very passage, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. You're not condemned. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. People don't go to hell because they reject the gospel message. They go to hell because they're condemned. You were born condemned. It is what it is. It's the state of things. You're under condemnation. But those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're no longer condemned. So you go from a state of condemnation to a state of being redeemed. To a state of having eternal life. By looking on the Lord Jesus Christ and believing on Him. As I mentioned, Paul, Paul told uh, those people in Athens, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The gospel message is available to all. Jesus Christ is available to all who will look on Him, who will believe on Him, who will repent from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I urge you, if you're listening online and you're here today, if you've never repented and trusted in the Lord, been forgiven of your sins, look to Jesus. Just put your faith in Him. He already did all the work. It's not like you got to pray harder. It's not like you got to cry more. He did it. He did. There's nothing you can just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The gospel message is for you.